0: You're listening to the Her Leadership Coach podcast for the quietly determined career woman who's looking to step up into her first or next level leadership role. If you're looking to make a bigger, more positive difference in your organization, you've come to the right place. Well, hello, welcome in. It's Rochelle. Now, in this season of Her Leadership Coach, we're exploring biases that can hold you back. And we're looking at how you can navigate them to reach your full potential. And on today's episode, we're looking into maternal bias. Maternal bias can be a little more obvious than some of the other biases I've looked into so far this season, and yet we still might not recognize it for what it is. Because what's behind it, I think, is so ingrained in most of us that it's almost as if it's logical, not based on some bias. So let's have a look at what it is exactly. It starts with when others see mothers, this is including us. (laughs) This is including us. When others and us (laughs) see mothers or pregnant women, as suddenly less competent and less committed to their jobs, which in itself is super frustrating, right? There is nothing about pregnancy hormones or being a mother that makes us less competent or less committed to our jobs. And even though that's frustrating, there is more to it than just that. Because this bias can slow down a woman's career path even if she never intends to become a mother. Yep, you heard me right. Some employers don't invest in training or give promotions to women simply if you're within childbearing age, fearing you might leave for family reasons. And then sometimes, as often happens, we are our own worst enemies. And we might opt out, and I'm doing air quotes here when I say opt out during pregnancy or at any stage as we raise our children. And sure, for some women, the choice is made to leave the workforce, to focus solely on our kids for 1, 2, 5, 12 years. And that's fantastic. And yet for many, the choice isn't that simple. Now there's a book on this subject written by uh, Pamela Stone called "Opting Out." Question mark Why women really quit careers and head home. And in her book, she interviewed successful career women who had quote opted out of their careers after becoming mothers. And what she uncovered is that the choice isn't always a choice. Many of these women faced inflexible workplaces that made juggling family and career pretty much impossible. They encountered assumptions and biases that they would become less committed, less available, or even less intelligent after giving birth. And so it's a choice made in fear of, or in the face of, those passive aggressive judgy remarks And let's face it, regardless of what choice we make as mothers, whether we leave, whether we stay and go part-time or stay and work full-time, there is always judgment coming from somewhere. You know, like, oh, you must miss your kids. I don't know how you do it. Oh, or, oh, you're leaving early again. Or, you're so brave for coming back to work so soon after having a baby. I know that you've heard one or more of those either directed to you or to someone around you. It's a choice made within the frustration of continually being passed over for opportunities. And any of these circumstances might lead us to downplay our ambitions, avoid seeking new challenges or leaving the workforce altogether. So the term opting out, can really be misleading because it suggests that we had this free choice, that we made a deliberate choice. In many cases, the woman interviewed in Pamela Stone's book didn't willingly walk away from their careers. They felt pushed out by a lack of support or understanding and a lack of accommodation for their new family responsibilities. Sometimes women don't even see it for what it is. And we feel like we made the choice until we start looking into it a little deeper. So let me share a couple of examples from modern times that highlights how this shows up. We'll start with one of my favorite leaders, Jacinda Ardern. She was only the second woman in the world to give birth while in office. The first being Pakistan's late two-time Prime Minister Benazir Bhutto. Now, there were a lot of people who applauded Jacinda for breaking new ground for working mothers, but her pregnancy and then motherhood also became this focal point for critics who questioned continuously her ability to juggle both roles effectively. An article in a British tabloid, and yes, we don't want to base everything on British tabloids, however, it said, and I quote, a pregnant prime minister isn't feminism. It's betraying your voters. Surely your country shouldn't have to compete for attention with a colicky toddler. And I think this statement captures the kind of scrutiny she was under. It was as if her new role as a mother cast doubts on her ability to continue her existing role as a leader. And yet her partner and and later husband was at home looking after their child, their baby, their toddler, their child, just as other women have done for men in leadership for centuries. Now let's flip the coin and talk about one of those men, Tony Blair. Now, when his wife, Cherie gave birth to their son, Leo, Tony Blair became the first British prime minister in over 150 years to have a child while in office. Their fourth child, mind you. But the tone around Blair's new fatherhood was overwhelmingly positive. A Guardian article from that time reads, Blair the father is also Blair the leader, confident, modern and inclusive. And yeah, he did actually change some nappies. Like, let's celebrate, right? And look, there were discussions even then about how he would balance his responsibilities but the tone was often more celebratory than interrogative. The questions raised were more about the logistics of how he was going to do it than about his capability or his dedication to his role as a leader. So the disparity in public and media reactions to these two leaders shows us that maternity bias definitely still exists no matter what level of leadership you're at. For Ardern, motherhood came with a barrage of questions about her competence and commitment. For Blair, fatherhood seemed to enhance his image, adding a new layer of relatability and modernity, modernity, (laughs) modernity, modern take without taking away from his perceived leadership abilities. Uh, He was that, you know, showcase of modern fatherhood that could do it all, and yet He wasn't. So even when we factor in the criticisms that Blair faced, it's clear that the nature and impact of the scrutiny are worlds apart for these two leaders. All right, so let's have a look at some of the research in this space and then some of the repercussions. There was research completed by Bristol and Essex universities in the UK, and it found women who returned to work after becoming a parent were two thirds less likely to get promoted in the five years after having the child than their male counterparts whether the men had had children or not and for those that have the argument and I've heard this that men were earning more before the kids were born so it makes sense for the woman's career to take a back seat for a while this same study found that for couples where the woman was the main breadwinner prior to birth which was 12 percent of them only 40 percent 6% of them remained the main early earner three years later. Like that's some crazy data and like very frustrating. Then there is a 2018 report by Lehman and McKinsey that perhaps gave some insight into why mothers might not want to aim for executive roles. They found that when women in senior leadership roles have partners at home looking after their children, or not, they are five times more likely than men in the same situation to do all or most of the household work. So if you as a mother are in an executive role, you are earning more money than your partner, whether they are working or not, you are still five times more likely than a man in that executive role to be doing all or most of the household work. So yes, addressing maternity bias is not just about individual careers. It's not just about a specific company's culture. It's going to require this massive culture shift around caring and domestic responsibilities. We can't have equity in our organizations until we have equity in our homes. So I hope that this inspires you to let your partner or husband know uh, there might be a few changes around here. Okay. So now that we've looked at some of the research, let's talk about the personal and unique ways that maternity bias impacts women. And these effects may not always show up in the numbers, but they are really real and tangible for us as women. So first is the emotional toll. This constant balancing act between work and family responsibilities can lead to feelings of guilt, uh, stress, anxiety. The world is more anxious now than it has ever been. Many women feel the pressure to be perfect, right? And this plays out both at work and at home. And that pressure is really placed on men in the same way. Yes, they may feel like they've got to achieve at work, but they don't feel like that at home for the most part, right? We're talking stereotypes. Now, I felt both sides of that pressure. When the kids were young and I was working part-time weekends uh, after hours so that they didn't have to go into daycare and I did the ships in the night thing with my then husband, I felt guilty all of the time and kind of less than because I wasn't contributing to the family. And of course, by contributing, I mean, I wasn't bringing the money in because clearly I was contributing in many other ways, but I felt this guilt about not, not working full time and bringing in a full time income, even though I was looking after the kids full time and bringing in a part time income. So I didn't feel like I was contributing enough to the family. And then when I did go back to work full time, I felt guilty because I couldn't go to the sports days or the swimming carnivals or book week. So it really doesn't matter which option you choose. You can always feel like you haven't got it right. And the majority of men just don't have to grapple with that. If they're working full time, it's expected of them. So they don't have guilt about not being home for their kids. And if by some slim chance they do take the time off and spend it with their kids so that their partners can go back to work, they don't need to feel guilty about that either because they're amazing, right? Society sees that as an amazing thing for men to do. Um, Maybe not in the workplace, mind you, and that's a problem in its own, But, you know, when when women see men taking care of their kids full time at the park, they're like, oh, you're just amazing. I don't know how you do it. When, of course, women do it all the time and don't get that same response. Now, the next one, as with all of the gender biases we've covered this so far this season, there is the effect on self-perception and confidence. When we are subject to maternal bias in the workplace, we start to question both our abilities and our ambitions we start to doubt whether we really can be both a great leader and a dedicated mother. In fact, that's one of the most common issues that my clients show up with is this push and pull between, uh, you know, do I want to go the next rung up the ladder because it's going to impact my family and I'm going to be a terrible mother. And the answer to that is like, that's not a foregone conclusion. You do not have to sacrifice your family to go the next roll up the ladder. But That's a whole other story. So this internal struggle that we have brought about by the external pressures that are based on stereotypes can lead to us counting ourselves out of opportunities even before others do. Now that same study by Bristol and Essex University found mums who leave employment completely are three times more likely to return to a lower paid or lower responsibility role than those who do not take a break. And that was absolutely me. From having a well-paid leadership role prior to having my kids, I went back to an entry level role when I stepped back into my career. I just did not think people would recognise my experience because it was too long ago even though the personal growth I'd done in the meantime was huge. Even though I had started a number of businesses during those years out of my career, and the skills, the transferable skills that you have from being an entrepreneur that you are able to take into the workplace are enormous. And yet still, when I was applying for jobs, I was applying for the entry-level jobs, which has had a huge impact on my life right? Financially. And look, I don't regret it. My life is amazing and I, the journey is what it is. Um, however, if I knew then what I know now, I would not have done it the same way. And that brings me to that financial toll both for us as individual women, but also for the organization. It means that we have stepped out uh, often when we are in our stride in our careers. And the contributions that we would have given to them during that time, uh, we're no longer giving to them. And then when we step away from leadership roles or any role for that matter, we're not only potentially missing out on years of income or a gap in years of income, but also on those compounded benefits of career progression, including promotions, raises superannuation retirement benefits uh you know that for me my super is really low because i was out of the career workforce for quite some time and my husband kept my ex-husband kept all of his super but i didn't have much again another story uh And then our organization is missing out on that talent, the skill, the experience of women. So according to McKinsey & Co's Women in the Workplace report, companies with more women in leadership roles are 21% more likely to outperform on profitability and 27% more likely to have superior value creation. So not having those women at crucial times or even when they come back starting From behind means that they are not in the leadership roles at the time that they would have been had our organizations been more supportive of women and families and different ways of working. So, yeah, we need to work to fix this as a society, as organizations and as individuals. So let's start with how do we reshape the workplace to reduce this bias? And the obvious answer I've already touched on is providing flexibility in our workplaces. Now, our workplaces were built for a time when men went to work and had a woman at home full time, looking after the kids, looking after the household, cooking, cleaning, all of that kind of stuff. And so it was fine for men to start at 9am, let's say, uh, and finish at 7pm and go on golfing trips in the weekend to network and do the late nights when it was necessary because they had someone at home taking care of everything for them. And now workplaces, workplaces are made up of different people and flexibility in the workplace is not just for working mothers but also for working fathers. Whether it's flexible hours, remote work opportunities, job sharing, part-time options, any of these adjustments will support parents in balancing their career and family life. I mean, seriously, they can support people in balancing their lives. I think we know now in 2023 that work is not the be all and end all of everything, that we can have a balance in our life and actually still be as productive and, you know, as successful as those working ridiculous amounts of hours. Now, along with this flexibility, you have to create a culture we're taking advantage of that flexibility is not seen as being less committed to your job or your career. And that really needs to be modeled from the top of the organization right the way through. So as a CEO, an executive of an organization, if you are able to take advantage of flexibility and show that you leave at 4 p.m. on a Friday or, 12 o'clock on a Tuesday because your child is in a sporting event and you're not going to miss it, then you start to model that culture all the way down and people don't see you as being less than in the commitment to jobs or careers when that happens. Now, along with this, you also want to encourage a culture where all parents take advantage of parental leave. There are a number of countries around the world where paternity leave is almost mandated. Sweden offers 480 days of parental leave, and each parent must take at least 90 of those. So yes, the mother and the father, if that's the makeup of the family, must take at least three months off each. Imagine that. (laughs) Um, Portugal has a 25-day mandatory paternity leave policy. Iceland offers three months of leave specifically for fathers, three months for mothers, and then an additional three months that parents can split as they wish. German's parental leave system encourages fathers to do so by offering partner months, which is when they get a financial bonus for couples when both take time off. So there are ways to do this as a society, to make this culture shift as a society. These approaches take away the stigma that often comes with men taking time to spend with their baby and have been shown to have long lasting benefits, including a long term effect on the division of household and childcare tasks, which helps women return to the workforce more easily including better mental health for both parents. And while there is, yes, an upfront cost for businesses in providing paid paternity leave, long term studies suggest that the increased productivity and reduced turnover that come with this upfront cost often outweigh these costs. Okay, so maybe long-term goals for some of our organizations, and maybe that's something that needs to be mandated by government, although in this era of um, skill shortages, maybe your organization wants to attract better talent by putting these into place earlier. But these approaches are in place now around the world, so they are entirely doable. I don't want to hear arguments that this costs too much, that it's never going to happen, that this doesn't work because it's shown to work. All right. So what about personally? What's within our control with this maternal bias? So four things that I want to touch on here. One is surround yourself with people, mentors, colleagues, friends who understand what your goals are both personally and professionally and who are there to support you, to provide guidance and advocacy for you. So of course, this means you need to get clear yourself. You need some clarity on what your goals are personally and professionally. And once you know, share them and ask for help and accountability in in achieving them. Second one is if you're planning a family or you're returning from maternity leave, Start to have a discussion with your supervisor, your manager about your career goals, your work arrangement preferences, and any concerns that you have about leaving or coming back, because often we don't think there is any flexibility in this, or we assume that they know what our career goals are, and it all goes unsaid, and that's where it's easy for them to assume that you are more committed to your family and less committed to your career. And I'm not saying being more committed to your career means you're going to be less committed to your family because you can entirely be fully committed to both. There are other things that you might need to change that are going on in your life to be able to deal with it. But being transparent like this is gonna help prevent misunderstandings and help prevent this bias from taking hold because you're being out loud and clear about it up front. Third one is understand what the law states regarding maternity rights in your local area. Knowing your legal rights empowers you to stand up for yourself if it is needed. And sometimes it is. And finally, last thing, do it anyway. If you genuinely want to take time out of your career and spend it with your children, then amazing. And sometimes I recognize there is not a choice to leave or to stay. However, if you're thinking of stepping out of the workforce because of other people's judgment or to or the expectation driven guilt that we all have, I want to share a couple of stories with you. Now, the first is to highlight some of the research in a book by Sharon Mears and Joanna Strober called Getting to 50-50. And they highlight some things in there that I think are worth us knowing. And I did not know this before I read the book. Couples who share childcare and household responsibilities have stronger relationships and lower rates of divorce. So yes, this is a good one to bring up with your partner. Uh, Women who have been homemakers for most of their lives were more likely to report poor health and women who quit work after having a child had 30% more psychological distress compared to women who returned to work. Now, I am not sharing that to say don't stay at home because if you're staying at home because you want to, then your health and your psychological distress will be just fine. I think this is born of women who are homemakers because they think that's the right thing to do, right? Or they quit work because of this you know, choice that they made that is born of the environment that they're working on. So if you feel like you are not truly making a choice, if you look deep into the reason that you are staying at home with the kids full-time or even part-time and you want to actually shift it, then there is a good reason that you want to do that. Our next little tidbit from the book is children whose fathers are actively involved in childcare tend to have better academic performance and higher levels of emotional well-being. So that is another thing you want to share with your partners to get them to help out around the house. And finally, men who share domestic responsibilities tend to experience greater job satisfaction and better health. So All good reasons for your husband slash partner to be helping out more with the kids and the housework. Uh, Now, my final story for this episode actually happened while I was writing the episode. Those of you that have heard my story before will have heard I took 12 years out of my career when I had the kids. However, I didn't stop working. I still worked in part-time jobs, as I said, and I started a number of businesses over that time, for better or for worse. So I spent a lot of time not mothering during those years and I have definitely not been immune to the judgment of others. I've had plenty of other women in particular judge me for my choices um, or the guilt that I mentioned earlier. So when my daughter messaged me this week to let me know she had to do this thing for a new workplace, she started a new job recently and she had to fill in a questionnaire one of the questions asked who inspires you the most and why and she sent a text message to me and said obs i put you and i just about (laughs) cried uh she shared her writing with me she shared what she'd written in her response and one of the things she said that made my heart melt was that i showed her what's possible and yes that Brings me close to tears right now. So yes, there will probably be guilt. I'm not going to lie. And some of it will no doubt be laid on you by your kids when they're young. I've had that too. But they grow up and they can appreciate when they grow up what it was all about. So here's my call to action for you. Take some time today, tomorrow, this week, to reflect on your own situation, on what you really want from your career and your life. Don't let expectations of society, of others, of your mother-in-law, of your children, or the biases that are out there about what happens when you become pregnant, become a mother, uh, just a woman of pregnancy age, Don't let them dictate your choices. If you're battling guilt, wondering if you can be a good leader and a good mother, remember you don't have to go it alone. And one day, just maybe, your kids will be your biggest cheerleaders, just as you are theirs. Thanks for joining me this week. If you want to continue the conversation about maternal bias or being a leader from the inside out, come and join us in the Women in Leadership Facebook group. You will find the link to join in the show notes. I also want to let you know that some of this podcast was created with the assistance of artificial intelligence, the ideas, examples, language, all still mine. However, I do occasionally get help with editing the audio, writing my show notes and the occasional save from writer's block. It saves me time, uh, which is really valuable for me as a busy entrepreneur, career woman, and mum. And as a leader, this is an area you should also be experimenting with. If you got value out of this episode, I would love it if you could share it with others that you see as leaders or up-and-coming leaders. Uh, And they would love it too. Until next week, continue to lead the way.